Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Our Zats, a podcast for musical conversations. We are thrilled this week to present you with what I think is one of our, our best episodes yet. If you remember, a few weeks ago now, we put out a couple a series of episodes called Three Albums. There was a part one and a part two. In part two of that series, Libby presented an album called Selena by a group called Dynamo. And we enjoyed it so much that we thought that on a whim, we would just reach out to somebody at Dynamo and, and talk to them about the album. This week, we're proud to present Our Zats Interviews, Ryan Connors, a keyboardist in the band Dynamo. We had a really great conversation about improvisation and about classical training versus what you learn outside of academia. I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to please go back and listen to Three Albums Part 2, at least the first half of it, so that you can hear our discussion of the album Selena. And I would also encourage you to actually go listen to the album Selena. Um, You can find it anywhere that music is. Check up on that so you'll be fully prepared to enjoy our interview with their keyboardist, Ryan Connors. And today we've got special guest Ryan Connors from Dynamo. Ryan, how are you? Doing great. How are you guys? Well, I'm doing great. Livy, Adam? Yeah, I'm good. I'm real good. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, I know a little bit about you, but like Dynamo doesn't have a Wikipedia page from anything I could find or mm-hmm. anything. Do you mind telling the listeners just a little bit more about who you guys are? Hopefully they listen to our three albums um, podcast parts one and two, and they heard us talk about the Selena album, but could you give us a little more background? Yeah, so a little bit about the band. It formed, um, you know, kind of in Nashville at uh, Belmont University. Um, I had just moved down there in 2012 to start grad school, and I met Kevin Gatsky, sax player, um, who else? Ross McReynolds, Nate Felty, both drummers, um, JJ Murphy, guitar player. Uh, Josh Blaylock, keys player, and I think Kevin Gift was playing bass, although I had already known Kevin from Philly, and we moved down to Nashville around the same time. Um, So I think that was mainly the band to start. And then we met uh, Dane Ussery, who would become our lead singer and write all our lyrics pretty much shortly after the band formed. And... So that's sort of the original lineup, but the lineup of musicians has changed a lot throughout the course of the history of the band. So I think we played our first gig in like 2013, and we also recorded our first record that same year um, live at Oceanway, which is a studio in Nashville. Um, So yeah, and then it was shortly after that that we graduated and immediately hit the road touring. so I think a big history of the band is just how much we toured and how many shows we played. We were on tour more than we weren't on tour. Uh, so maybe like 150 to 200 dates per year. Um, yeah. And That's just awesome. like 10 people traveling, living out of the van and sleeping on strangers <laughs> floors. <laughs> um, so yeah, but yeah, that's sort of the quick history of the band. That's really cool. Um, just I, I don't want to be nosy, but I'm just curious. Um, you said you moved down to Nashville for grad school at Belmont. Yeah, that's right. What were you 
doing in grad school? Um, I'm just curious, because we all just came out of school together. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. What school did you guys go to? Southern Miss. Yeah. Oh, Southern Miss. Down in Mississippi. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Were you guys at the show at, uh, in Nashville? Did you guys come to the show? No. So oh, no. we didn't, but I think I heard of you guys through a friend who was at your show okay. in Nashville. So yeah, there was um, there was like a squad from Mississippi that came up, oh, and I was like, cool. oh, maybe, maybe that was you guys, but... Um, yeah, that's cool. Okay, so you guys went to Southern Miss, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Adam McPhail, but he also graduated from there. That sounds that's cool. Familiar. I was I gonna say, do. so I don't know him because I don't. First name Adam. That's what sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Some bias, yeah. So Adam McPhail is our current guitar player, um, and he actually wrote the music for the first track on Salina, which is "Thankful." Um, but yeah, he's originally from Hattiesburg and went to Southern Miss. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. That's so cool. We didn't know that there was that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, you're originally from Philly, you said? Well, yeah. I mean, I lived in Philly for four years, um, when I was Mm -hmm. getting my undergrad degree at Westchester University. Um, cool. No, what I, I have, um, a family friend that actually went to Westchester. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. Great school. Um, so I'm originally from New Jersey, uh, moved around a lot as a kid, but I spent like high school in New Jersey and, um, went to Westchester to study classical percussion. So I did that for four years and then I moved down to Nashville to study drum set at Belmont. And I did that for a semester, but then I actually switched to jazz piano and then finished that degree as a jazz piano major. Were you already taking piano like separately growing up or you were just like, eh, I think I could do that? <laughs> no, I mean, it, neither one, I guess. I always played piano on the side, but I was all self-taught. Um, so what, like in bands growing up, I would play some keys and then it in while I was at undergrad um no one auditioned for piano on a in Latin jazz ensemble so the director wanted me to to play that and I was reluctant at first but I actually ended up really liking it and now I'm a keyboard player so yeah that's cool well and for me that kind of gets into like one of the questions that I was going to have as far as improv goes mm. because when I grew up I was in high school band, we had a large marching band. We were 5A school. Um, and one of the other classes I was interested in was jazz band. And I took it for two years. But improv mm-hmm. always seemed very difficult for me. It didn't feel like it came naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that was, I mean, one, I was playing on a secondary instrument. So I was a tuba player. And then I was playing trom- bass trombone. And oh, it was yeah. like a foreign I don't know how slide positions work or even guitar or piano where it's like, okay, if you want the melody to go up, you can actually move a direction on the instrument Mm -hmm. where you're having to switch partials with your mouth was like, it blew my mind. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I was, I was going to ask about like functional piano skills versus learned so that, you know, I guess the way that I would think about it is you could learn to play several pieces of music and that's different from being very familiar with scales and arpeggios and all these other things that are more functional skills. Sure. Does that kind of make sense? So 
I think it's um, interesting that you were more self-taught and that that may lend itself to you learn more functional skills early on, which translated better, but I could be off base. Uh, no. Yeah. I, I think I, I understand what you're getting at. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely to improvise on an instrument, it requires basic knowledge of, you know, that instrument. And, and so like going back to the bass trombone, you know, understanding that you got to be able to kind of like hit all the notes comfortably before you can sort of like improvise, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, for, um, yeah, for me, I didn't really learn scales and arpeggios until grad school. <laughs> so, um, that just wasn't really like a priority for me, but I, I will say that it definitely like helped me get to the next level of playing. Um, definitely getting like the basics together i think just makes you an overall better player you know um i wanted to ask you now as like a keyboardist doing all the jazz piano stuff having the uh the percussion degree and this being kind of a theory focused podcast what would you describe your relationship to music theory is um especially in your work with a band yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to learn music theory at a very young age. My dad was a is a conductor and um, like a, a college professor. And so, yeah, when I had, you know, I, I guess I was into music at a very young age. Um, you know, not super young, but I think around fifth grade, I started playing like the snare drum. <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, you know met some friends who were also interested in making music. And so I, um, you know, started like a jazz band when I was in sixth grade and, you know, through that had to learn, you know, I learned the hard way. I (laughs) did all these like Duke Ellington tunes and wrote it out for like saxophone. In sixth grade you started a jazz band? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was really into into jazz. That's very impressive. Which again, like my dad, I feel like was you know, definitely like an influence. I feel like we listen to a lot of jazz in the car and at home, um, a lot of classical too. So I was always sort of like exposed to some really great music growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel very fortunate about that. But so I was into Duke Ellington and, and made some charts for a band that had like saxophone, trumpet, trombone. Basically, I found out about transposition the hard way because I wrote uh, everything yeah. out in unison, not realizing <laughs> that I had to like do that. So my dad was like very helpful when it came to stuff like that. I was like, "Why does it sound so bad?" And he was able to like teach me things here and there, if that makes sense. Oh, that's absolutely. A, that's a big leg up. Yeah. I did um one of the first things that I tried arranging when I was young for like uh, tuba trio was don't stop believing <laughs> and then i was also transposing it um a tritone to get it to the key of b flat instead of e mm, yeah and so <laughs> yeah but i didn't understand like you could cheat in finale and just write it out in <laughs> e and then flip it yeah so i was l- literally thinking okay what's the tritone on every note yeah which is a good you know it's a good exercise uh to have because they, they didn't always have finale or Sibelius, you know, so you used to have to just write it out. <laughs> Seth, you should have done that in a pitch class notation, you know, like the numbers, it would have been easier then because it's just the inversion of every number. No. 
so atonal so serial stuff is my area of expertise at this point so <laughs> so adam funny enough i was like i don't know why but um inverting the row always threw me for some reason i mm-hmm. i don't know why that didn't like calculate but then i was doing homework with sarah the other night um and then it just made like sense all of a sudden i was like oh nice. i feel silly for not knowing this I have a question, Ryan. So along the same lines, you were just saying like you listen to a lot of music that kind of exposed you to more sort of like repertoire as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say like you kind of developed your ear early on as well? Because I'm a big, uh, I guess we, we've all taught oral skills like through graduate school. That's what we did as TAs. Mm. And so I I think a lot about like the pedagogy of that and like, for some kids, they just don't have a developed ear going into undergrad. Yeah. I was kind of one of those kids myself. And so I'm just kind of curious about like, what was your relationship with like, did you have an ear for like pitch, for melody? I know a lot of people who can remember a melody they heard once when they were four, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say I have anything like freakishly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I wish, but. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I definitely, I think my biggest thing that I did and didn't really know that I did was like taught myself um like harmony um Mm. just by honestly just by like experimenting and playing chords I think Mm -hmm. growing up I did like I just played piano for like relaxation a lot and like we were lucky to have a piano in the house growing up and I just sort of gravitated toward it um so and then when I got to oral skills like you know semester one of college you know, they would play chords back to back and I just would know exactly what it was because I, without realizing, That's just awesome. like kind of taught myself that, you know. You had a sense for like harmonic progressions and like yeah. what led into what. That's awesome. Yeah, which is maybe a reason I was just like, because I was a drummer at that time. Um, but I think it it definitely feels more at home to just like be a pianist now, you know. <laughs> well, and, um, oh, Adam, remind it's uh, Barbara Blage, is that the correct? I think that's the correct yeah, pronunciation. So. Um, Ryan, we we kind of read and reviewed an article that she wrote um, to journals of Society of Music Theory ago, and she was talking about um, different. Uh, was it Wayne Shortner pieces? Wayne Shorter. Wayne Shorter. Yeah. Um, like ESP and mm-hmm. other tracks like that. And so in some of the sketches that she was outlining, to me, it almost looked like here's some 21st century theory that's going on and some, like it just looked closer to that than it does your traditional tonal music from the classical or romantic periods. But it was almost like there was not counterpoint, but like you would just have certain notes that resolved in certain ways and mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about like how impressed I was with the harmonic vocabulary that you have to have as a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. So I think in some ways that speaks to your um, experimenting on the piano and just kind of getting used to here's all the different harmonies that I could have instead of being forced into a here's a one, four and five box. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like find that stuff boring. You know, it's like I guess you have to start somewhere but I don't know I was I guess I feel fortunate where it's like I 
felt like I had all the freedom in the world to just play whatever chords I wanted to. Um, rather than just being told like, this is a half cadence, that's a full cadence. And then like, I don't know, something about being raised classically that kind of takes the creativeness out of it, maybe. But, you know, there's a lot of like regiment and discipline that is really good that comes from that. So, you know, it's, it's hard, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say like what's better or worse. And a lot of my favorite musicians were classically trained, you know, like Herbie Hancock, was like yeah. a, a really great classical pianist before he crossed over into jazz and then crossed over into fusion. And so, you know, worked for him. So it's, it just wasn't my experience, I guess, you know? Well, and you have other ones like Went Marsalis was classically trained mm-hmm. um, and he's a great jazz uh, trumpet player now. Mm-hmm. And then I guess if, even if you want to go back to the turn of the um, century into the 1900s, uh, Scott Joplin was classically trained first mm-hmm. and then he kind of experimented and did his own thing and got to ragtime. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's important to understand that jazz musicians don't view jazz and classical as like so much different than like maybe some other parties that people do. You know, I think a lot of jazz musicians think um, it's modern classical music, you know, and I think... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look back at Bach and Chopin, like those guys were improvising. Um, so it's not really, it's not, it's kind of hard to distinguish the two. I mean, they're both music and that's really all that matters. Um, but I think that's an important distinction. Well, and like something that we kind of discussed when we were talking about that article was that in a lot of ways, jazz is what if they did I don't want to say did it right but I'm going to um what if they did like atonal music right where you could experiment with a full spectrum of chromaticism and pitch class sets and other things that jazz is I guess to me kind of like you were saying it would be the modern version of that like just like an accessible atonality is what you mean yeah Mm mm-hmm so I guess, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> what are my thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I mean, guys like Stravinsky and, and you know. Shout out to Stravinsky. <laughs> big fan, big fan. Big fan of Igor. <laughs> uh, Friend of the show. <laughs> but, you know, I guess they were actually experimenting with 12-tone rows, where, which is, you know, actually, I, you know, I think Wayne Shorter did do a fair amount of that. Um but I don't know. It's like, I don't think the jazz musicians are always concerned about how it looks on paper. I think they judge with their ear first. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know a ton of great improvisers and great musicians that don't know anything about theory, but they have a good ear and they follow what their ear is telling them to play. And I think... Mm-hmm. Even if you look back in history, it's like, I don't know if Louis Armstrong really knew. I don't think his like theory was like that strong, but man, he could play the trumpet and it's like, that got people excited, you know, so. Especially around Nashville, because um, I I grew up in Murfreesboro, which I don't know if you, yeah, yeah, so I was, I was right there. And so I, I know a lot of people who were, grew up in that sort of tradition of like country, bluegrass, all that kind of stuff, like, 
they don't care about theory, but they're playing mm-hmm. all these complex harmonics and like, or harmonies and like the melodies and you know they yeah. like you said they follow their ear and so they know the theory they just know it by ear instead of yeah and a formal analysis like it's all there it's just a different way of knowing it yeah and i mean you know once you get out of school people stop grading you you know it's like it's either mm-hmm. good or it's bad and it's like <laughs> if you can play the notes then no one's ever going to like question it um no one's ever going to come up to you after the gig and be like, what was, what were you thinking over these chord changes? You know, it's like, I don't know. I was just going to say that like those people that can just like play by ear and and do all of that. So naturally, like kind of scare me a little bit. I find them very intimidating. (laughs) Uh, just cause I was, I'm also a pianist, not a very good one, but I was raised like really conservatively and classically. Like I grew up playing a lot of church piano, like four part hymns and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so strict and so functional harmony and all that. And then when I got to school, I started learning like classical repertoire and I never really had any opportunity. I guess I could have found opportunity. My ear was terrible and I never mm-hmm. really pursued imp- improvisation in any way. Yeah. And so just like these people that can do all this stuff by ear, I just find intensely, you know, intimidating. Like, man, <laughs> well, from my, I can't fathom it. It's so beyond me. From my side of it, it blows my mind to see like a concert pianist like sight read uh, in real time. You know what I mean? I like that blows my mm-hmm. mind. Um, I guess because I maybe have a better ear than I do like set of eyes when it comes to reading. But but I, I know what you oh, mean. It's so like the distinction between like interpreting something and creating it on the spot. Yeah, like. Yeah, to me, like, it doesn't scare me to, like, create. Yeah. It doesn't scare me to create on the spot, but it does, like, intimidate me to, like, if someone just opened up a book and was like, yo, read this at this tempo, then that would be a little hard, you know? It's, like, a lot to coordinate. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, I think it's just one of those things where, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of musicians that are great at both, but, uh, like, Wynton Marsalis right, yeah. being a great example. Um you know, and they don't necessarily take away from each other, but often like the training and the experience that goes along with one of those paths, you know, like forces you to stay kind of in that, in that lane. Yeah. I honestly think it's like a different side of the brain, you know, it's like a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, you know, not, not saying it's a gift entirely, but it's just, it takes a type of person, I think. And obviously each skill can be worked on. So the stuff we're talking about kind of leads into a question I was going to ask you, which is, and you can be as general or as specific as you like, just kind of like the general process for you guys in the band Mm. um, composing. So like, is it a lot of stuff that's predetermined? Is it more improv? Like kind of just generally, what's what's your approach in the band to composing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... You know, and and I think the answer to that is we wanted it to be ambiguous, um, mm. you know, of just like what is composed and what's improvised. You know, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate goal. Um, right. But, you know, it's, you know, obviously melodies are sort of predetermined and written. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of parts in the rhythm section that have been discussed at exhaust, you know, mm-hmm. of just like yeah rehearsals of just figuring out what's going to be the best thing for the song um Mm -hmm. and what's not going to get in the way and i think with such a big band especially when we go into the studio we we have like 20 20 
musicians, I think, <laughs> typically. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, man. And which is cool because we really don't, there's no need to do, like go back and overdub any parts. And that was yeah. sort of the intention of, we just kind of wanted to make a live record, but like in a studio mm-hmm. so we can mix it still and have everything separate. And, um, but yeah. So, you know, a problem that we run into a lot is overplaying because when you have that many people, you can't always be playing all the time. Um, so yeah, basically there is a lot that we, we talk about, but then when it comes to a solo section, it's kind of just like you're off, you know? Um, and everyone supporting the soloist is also off, like improvising and just reacting to whatever the solo is, is saying, you know? I wanted to ask you about, um, the choir on Salina. It's Lina, right? Yeah. Salina, right. Okay, because we totally mispronounced it the whole yeah. last episode. Whoops. Oh, that's uh, okay. Oh, it's Selena, probably. Yeah, it's yeah, all good. It's with. all good. <laughs> um, so, especially at the beginning of the album, you have like that choir singing mm-hmm. with you guys. They were there in the studio as well. Yeah. Well, so really, just uh, lead singer and three backup singers. Oh, okay. Yeah. It just had such a yeah choral sound. That's cool. Yeah. Um, was that like part of the 20 that like would have gone in with you? Yeah. So they were in the studio with us. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think for Salina, we recorded that up in Syracuse, New York. Um, so we, uh, what do we have? Four vocalists total, three guitars, three keys players, myself, Josh, and then DeMarco Johnson, who's uh, a Nashville, you know, session player in uh, great, great buddy of ours. And then we had three drummers total, two that switched off on kit and one who was just like all time perk. Um, mm-hmm. and then what bass four horns, I believe, um, sax, two trumpets, trombone. And then I want to say that's it. Yeah. So was anyone counting? That was a lot. No, I that wasn't. Was, <laughs> I would assume you were correct. I was willing to commit I wasn't there. to that was 20 either way. Yeah, it's in the ballpark of 20, I think. <laughs> I mean, to give Adam more work as the editor, we could just name, like, number 1 through 30 and then just <laughs> use whatever it is. <laughs> no, thanks. No, we're good. I forget, did I answer whatever question was just asked i think so (laughs) okay yeah yeah you totally did were you guys sort of as the personnel in the band evolved was that more just based on like meeting people and wanting to work with them or was it a specific kind of sound you were going for that Mm. you were trying to add parts into and to achieve a specific like sound and all that stuff yeah uh that's a great question i think it was kind of both to be honest you know i think through touring you definitely meet a lot of new people in other bands you know and actually it's funny Mm -hmm. hattiesburg was one of them we met adam down there and we were like we got to get this guy and then he moved (laughs) to nashville and it was like okay well now it's easy um perfect you know same thing with our did you play in hattiesburg uh thirsty hippo (gasps) Ah, favorite (laughs) (laughs) that's a hometown favorite yeah. Oh, yeah. I I love the Thirsty Hippo. I love Brad. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, we've and been. they do have the best burger in Hattiesburg. Yeah, it's a great. <laughs> I maintain it's the best burger in Hattiesburg. <laughs> yeah, we've been playing at Thursday Hippo since probably 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. How I often wonder, do you guys come down? Yeah, well, what if we missed you? Yeah, we honestly haven't played there in a couple of years. I want to say I can't remember the last time we played there. Maybe like 2018. Um, we, Ooh, we would have been so there. So maybe. Yeah. No, we would have been there. Well, it depends on when in 2018. Yeah. Oh, you mean missed them like you were there and we missed them. Yeah, we did. That's a bummer. We did uh, We did a clinic at USM. Uh, what? Yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, you know Larry Pinella, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had us in and we did a master class there and we just like played and answered questions and stuff. This is what I get for being out of touch with the rest of the school. <laughs> I know, that's what, I don't read the posters and I miss out on stuff like this. Yeah, I would have been dying to see that. That would have been so cool, but I didn't know anything outside of our little bubble. <laughs> in, in our defense, we did have that closet that we had to try to figure uh-huh. out what our oral skills yeah. students wrote down as dictation answers. So Yeah, yeah. we were yeah. fighting other battles, but still, that's really cool though. <laughs> I didn't know that you guys were so active in Hattiesburg. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I uh, out. That's really cool. If you know that event, Live at Five, we've done that quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Live at Five is awesome. Yeah, that's a cool mm-hmm. one. Which is actually, again, Brad and his wife. Brad is the owner of uh, Thirsty Hippo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sponsored. I remember that. Yeah. I wonder if you, are you thinking more melodically? Like, here's where I, or like, here's the contour of what I'm looking for and you're kind of thinking about the counterpoint or are you just more like pulling from oh here I've run this like scale or this arpeggio or something before and I'm just like doing that Hmm. I guess what are you thinking when you improv yeah I try to avoid scales um just because I feel like scales aren't really music as much as they're just sort of an exercise but you know there are certain scales that go with certain chords and there's multiple scales that go with certain chords. Um, but Mozart's rolling in his grave, but keep going (laughs) (laughs) about what just scales or what? Yeah. He likes to use a lot of scales. I was specifically told that I needed to practice my scales so that I could play Mozart. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean in that, in that music scalar patterns are actually, um, pretty useful. But and to be fair, I find Mozart quite boring. I don't enjoy playing it. All, so you're right. <laughs> yeah. I heard he was a jerk too. So no, I'm just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> no I mean, scales. What is he going to do? Leave a mean comment? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm just saying, if Ryan heard it, then we know it's true. Because Libby <laughs> heard the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, scales are definitely an option. Um, arpeggios are an option. Um, uh, patterns are an option you know so like thinking pentatonic scales and manipulating different patterns of that can get you pretty far um i like pentatonics just because i think they're very like singable um you know a lot of folk melodies are just like pentatonic melodies and i think those melodies were passed down by like oral tradition you know and they weren't really written down um so i think that's proof enough that you know people can like sing those melodies very easily um but yeah did you you didn't by chance listen to the episode where we talked about your album did you 
No, I didn't. Why? Well, I, I, no, no, no. I think I said that was my, was, um, at least in thankful, Mm -hmm. I was talking about, um, we were talking about the gospel style and how I like, there's the gospel sound, the harmonies, but then part of it is there are a lot of pentatonic melodies within that. Uh And it's just an easy thing to latch onto because it's a singable scale. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Have you guys... So I thought it was cool that you at least, you know, <laughs> on some level that was true. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tip the hat. Um, yeah, if you guys have seen the TED Talk with Bobby McFerrin, is that a thing? That I have. Seen? I was thinking about mentioning Love that. that one. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so there, yeah, I mean, that's proof enough, too, of just, like, a crowd of people naturally singing the, what, the five instead of the four, like, in the mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, oh, the the main thing I was going to talk about was just like language when it comes to improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's you get so much out of like transcribing other people's licks, um, mm-hmm. and sort of like inheriting those and being able to sing those. And then when it comes time, you're kind of in the moment and you're improvising, so you're not really like thinking. concretely about like I'm stealing this from this Herbie record in 1957 or you know what I mean like but it's like it just kind of creeps into your playing and you start playing licks that you've heard before so it's sort of a process have you seen the video of the kid who like learns a lick from like some Mario Kart game and goes and plays it at his high school band performance (laughs) (laughs) uh no I don't think I have but honestly like that's sort of how you do it you know it's just like Uh you get obsessed with like a lick or two and you play it in all the 12 keys and then you slowly mm-hmm. start to just sort of you know a tune like a different tune maybe like sneaking it over like the same sort of chord progression and then mm-hmm. you kind of leave it alone and you just forget about it and then it, it shows up in your playing months later is sort of kind of how it works I feel like so let me let me see if you agree with something so in undergrad um, I was a saxophone player um i haven't played as much anymore but so there was a lot of discussion of like jazz playing and how Mm. to get better and whatnot and the thing hands down that you heard every single time you asked someone how do i get better it was they just said listen (laughs) and some people wouldn't elaborate on that some people would just say listen and just like walk away but like do, do you agree like that's Step number one. Is I like mean, listening. definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of like a cop out answer, um, especially for <laughs> someone so you're too. like paying to teach you. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it is it is kind of, you know, it is it does kind of break down to like that simplistic, you know, a lot of like music students in general just like forget that because we view it as such like a technical thing. Um, mm-hmm. but it's like, you have to remember that it's, it's just music, you know, like it, this is like why you fell in love with it in the first place is because you enjoy listening to it. So if you could just get to a point where you are able to just listen critically and also enjoy it, you know, I think that's going to help your playing more than anything, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't disagree. I just got annoyed whenever that's all someone would tell me in school. Yeah. Like, yeah. And again, like, no, I don't... give me some t- <laughs> give me some like technical tips as well please but i mean i i agree yeah like to learn any sort of playing like you have to sort of internalize it mm-hmm. and that comes from listening more than anything else yeah absolutely because even if we like analyze a piece as theorist we don't we couldn't replicate it 
especially with jazz because there's so much style Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like not even really about what notes you're playing it's like how you're playing it i think that's like a miles davis quote but it's like it's so true you know there's so much attitude and you know articulation is like so important Mm. and like Mm -hmm. where's the note coming from where's it going to it's like all direction um and i think it's easy to get caught up in the theory but it's you know i don't think it's really lightly here yeah it's just i mean speaking as a fan base of 20 (laughs) so mad 20 maybe music theorists are lighting their torches yeah and it's tough because i'm i'm also like a theory nerd you know like i love it you know Mm. i'll talk about it all day but you know it's it's not the same as playing you know it's and I learned that the hard way. It's like I had so much theory knowledge going into like jazz jams and stuff. And then I would just like not be able to execute it. I would understand like what would sound good over what, but it's like that's not really enough. You know, it's, you kind of have to just like put it into application. I just wanted to ask so are you suggesting that it's the notes you're not playing? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's jazz. You figured it out. <laughs> All right, so we solved, you know, jazz on this podcast. We're just, we're done, yeah. right? Yeah, we solved it. <laughs> so many arguments over the years about what it is, and now we know. But I, I think you're right, Ryan, that it is, it's about listening and being able to experience it and internalize it. And so I really appreciated that when you were talking about learning the licks that you were also saying, like, sing the lick. Yeah. Because that's a part of internalizing it and making it a part of you and not just more like the classical, like, yeah, I learned this scale and yeah, I can pull out the scale anytime I want, but it's not really internalizing it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the greatest improvisation, you know, musicians can probably, like, scat their butts off, you know? Because uh, mm. they not only learned it for their horn or for their instrument, but they really, like, they could sing anything. <laughs> I had to convince, like, you know, freshmen and sophomore students all the time. They're like, well, like, I'm just going to play it on my trombone. Why do I have to sightseeing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, right. Well, because... Because, yeah, you can have it in your fingers, but, like, to have it in your ears and your brain is a completely different thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, going back to, like, you were talking about trying to improvise on a bass trombone when it's, like, you don't really, like, have a firm grasp on the instrument yet. But it's sort of, like, those two things working together of just, like, master your instrument on a technical level and then be able to sing the ideas that are in your head. Um, And then the two you won't really have to think about either one of them if you kind of like get to that point of mastery well and um we're we've gone for a little bit so i think we're gonna start heading towards a wrap-up but i was just gonna say uh, me and my fiance who is a just finished her master's in piano pedagogy down here at lsu we went to um a piano conference in Chicago last year. And one of the really cool things that I got to see was a lesson that they taught in a giant auditorium where uh, this really young student, maybe 11 years old, had done a really good job of learning jazz licks and other things to where with his right hand, he can just run the licks and other things all day on like the top half of the piano. And what his teacher was working on him with was 
okay, it's not just enough to play the scale or play the, that what you need to do is like slow it down and think, where do you really want this to go? And like here are all those little places and then add in the little filler things and that'll bring out the melody. And I think that's kind of what you were saying as far as the greats with Louis Armstrong and others that scat really well is that they have this bigger idea of here's all the notes that I want to bring out. And I did the exercise um, with a guitarist friend of mine because um, he was asking some questions about improv and some other things. And so I did that on the song Autumn Leaves. And we kind of went through the general theory of like, yeah, it's a circle of fifths pattern for the most part. And you're hitting like the third of the chord each time, like every two minutes every two measures when it changes and so if you know that's the note that the song is bringing out that you can bring that out too in your improv and you just do other things around it yeah yeah no it's true i mean just like having target notes and then embellishing from there yeah well and like you've said you know those are in some ways like training wheels and so once you've really mastered your craft you don't necessarily have to think about it in that way. But mm-hmm. yeah. I thought it was a really influential lesson for me. Yeah, that's really cool. Those are the kind of tips I wanted. I was just saying, that's the kind of tip I wanted someone to give me in addition <laughs> to listening. Like, just give me something tangible. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I need training wheels. I'll try and get off them, but I need training wheels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Especially because my ear wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I would always tell, you know, even though I don't really do jazz, I'd be like work on ear training because your ear will help you immensely but that's true for all musicians like the the better you can get your ear it'll lead you in the correct direction so yeah for sure yeah because i play a lot of like non-jazz music with um with people and um like i play for this singer this uk artist and we tour around a lot and the guys in that band um are they didn't even go to school for music you know and like they're they're really great musicians and i think they have a lot of they have a lot of uh strength that i see a lot of my like music college friends lacking in which is you know they they don't overthink stuff because they really don't know anything about music theory for the most part and you know they they never really practiced scales on their instrument they just immediately started learning like beatles tunes when they were younger on their instrument and you know, they all like write music and they all write lyrics. Um, and they're all like really great at like recording and understanding that sonic space as opposed to just being like technically proficient on their instrument. You know what I mean? They, they view music a little differently. And I think it's a little closer to what making good music is all about, which is just like, hey, it sounds good. Awesome. Let's add this thing. Hopefully that'll sound good. And then it's eventually a nice sounding piece of music, you know? Yeah, well, and when I was growing up and trying to compose, I wasn't starting with music theory necessarily. It was just like, okay, let me sit at the piano and try to do some things. And so in some weird ways, like that was really helpful because you're just trying to problem solve the whole time and you don't have any answers except for the ones that you find. Yeah, and you're letting your ear lead you most likely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, Sight reading classical music, I feel like in so many ways, 
is the same as you having built up a toolbox of here's all the things that I need mm. to be a jazz performer that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they are so used to reading. Oh, here's this arpeggio. Here's this like yeah. formation of whatever chord. And so you get used and, to the patterns. Yeah. That's and very so true. They're almost re- more reading patterns sometimes than they are like, yeah, here's every note under the sun. Now, if they sight read some Charles Ives, that would be a different story. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. That's true. I hadn't thought about it, but when I was when I was sight reading a lot, I was better at sight reading and like continuing to be better at it. And now that I don't as much, like I would be way I'd be waste like, you know, miles from where I was like in undergrad. Yeah, that is one skill that you definitely lose if you don't use it. Mm-hmm. Or like me, you get to your piano proficiency and you realize wow i really should have practiced sight reading hymns a lot more (laughs) and then you like bomb that part but you you like you know made flying club fine fly goodness flying colors i know uh past all the other parts of the proficiency and so there was like they had to have a discussion of like okay (laughs) did he do bad enough on this to not pass but Good news is I have degrees now. That was half yep. the people in my piano proficiency class was like, they could only do one thing, but they did it well enough to pass. <laughs> <laughs> it is not great. Not the way it should have been. <laughs> I, for my piano proficiency, I was taking private lessons and we were trying to learn lots of repertoire and, you know, get to all my recitals and stuff. And so my teacher hadn't gone through with me on any of the uh, proficiencies because he assumed that I could do all of them. <laughs> And oh, we got wow. to the one where I had to play, I think we had to play on top of Old Smokey in one hand and harmonize it with the other hand. Mm-hmm. And if this sounds like it was like way too simple and easy, it was. I can assure you that it was. <laughs> but again, I'm not an improviser. So like even that was a challenge for me. And we got there and he's like, wait, you don't know how to do this? <laughs> no. Well, that's, kind, that's kind of on I played him. hymns and then I played the classical music you assigned me. I've never done this before. And he was furious with me. <laughs> Yeah. To your credit, no one told you. Yeah, but I guess like that speaks to what Ryan was talking about throughout the episode was that it is if you aren't trained to do some of those things, really even in the classical like training, even though in the baroque time like you were supposed to improv and understand theory and all these other things well enough to be able to do it, that mm. a lot of times in classical training they don't teach you how to do that. Whereas like Ryan and me to a much lesser extent, I grew up like just playing chord progressions. And so like in class when they were like improv, use these chords, I was like, oh, this is easy. You know, I'll just throw a pentatonic scale on top of it and it'll sound fine. It's not going to be the best ever, but like nobody's going to be upset by it. I mean, that's a skill that I didn't have until very late, but... Mm -hmm. It's certainly useful. More people should. So, do you do still play saxophone? Uh, it it is still my instrument, but I didn't really play through my theory degree in grad school because a few reasons. But they like, didn't just, make us for some reason. Yeah, they didn't. Hey, hey! Which out of all the things have. we did, don't be upset about them. No, not I'm not. I'm just us. saying it's an odd choice. <laughs> no, I mean, I wish they had made me because I wish I played more. But I just like the. Um, style of my undergrad was so far from the style of, of the studio 
at Southern Miss mm. that I was really intimidated of like sounding crazy because yeah. <laughs> my undergrad professor had a much edgier style and then they're a roster school at Southern Miss and so they all sounded clean and like their tone was crystal clear and I was like I'm gonna sound <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, I don't even know just crazy and so yeah. I was intimidated but where did um, you go to undergrad so I went to undergrad in Cookville, Tennessee, at Tennessee Tech, oh, yeah, which yeah. is like real small. But yeah. um, I went there for the saxophone professor I had, and he was great. Um, Phil Barham, I cool. don't think he would have done anything that you guys would have crossed paths with, but sure. he's he's a great teacher, and so I went there for that. But even even then, like sax, the thing that I loved most was uh, like saxophone quartet. Yeah. Um, I love chamber music, but mm-hmm. like I was never like really a performer. And so also once I got to the theory degree, I was like, oh, I don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of let it go. And even though I didn't do it as much as I should have, my piano skills were incredibly lacking. So if I needed to be playing anything, it was piano. Because as a theorist, you got to be able to play it to yeah. teach. Yeah, right. And so mm-hmm. the little bit of practicing I did do was piano because... Well, and to that point, like, I was so happy when Adam could play piano and he took over three and four. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. And played all those, and Adam played all those <laughs> yeah, entrance I, exams I did for not us. want to be playing uh, the oral skills piano three and four. It was <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Our advisor always said about himself that he had developed uh, teacher's chops. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of like where we all ended up with our primary instruments. Maybe maybe not Seth, but me and Livy. And I think, at least for me, my definition of teacher's chops is perhaps stretching what Dr. Rust would have considered. <laughs> I, so yeah. my problem is, like, I definitely have teacher chops on tuba, but there's also, I would hit, I don't think I had real chops on the tuba to begin with, like... I was music <laughs> That's how ed. I am with saxophone, yeah. <laughs> I was music ed undergrad, just like Livy, and so there was, there's a little bit of a okay, we want you to be a good teacher. If you're not the best ever on your instrument, it'll be okay. But I mean, we were good enough to pass our juries and whatnot, and like I had a great teacher, so I had it better than some other people. But like, I just was never a comfortable performer, so it wasn't my lane. But. Um... I love teaching, so I wanted to do that. How do you feel about teaching, Ryan? I'm just curious. Do you like teaching on any level? Yeah, I enjoy teaching. Basically, a lot of beginners, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. but some that are more serious. Um, And yeah, we just talk about a lot of fundamentals and, you know, we eventually learn some tunes and talk about improvisation and stuff, do a lot of sight reading. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I love teaching. It's great. That's that's kind of what we three are doing. We like are really into the teaching side of theory. Cool. So with teaching improv, um, what I guess if you don't mind talking for a little bit longer, what <laughs> what are you teaching? Yeah, How we're are way you past getting? What we said we were going to end. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Um, you just asked what I teach when it comes to improv. Yeah, and so I guess a little background. So that one, I'm teaching um, some intro piano and like maybe some early intermediate piano students at a local school here, as well as being a band director during the day. 
Um, and so one of the skills that I wanted them to develop was being able to improv a little and feel comfortable making things on the instrument, not just, okay, let me turn the page and read the next one. And so that mm -hmm. a lot of what I had them start doing was like, if they're in a five finger position on the piano, I could teach them multiple and say like, Hey, let's play in D five finger position. Middle finger goes on F sharp. And so they would get set and then I would tell them, okay, the rules are, you just can't move your hand. Any rhythm you want to use, any notes out of that you want to use, it's fair game. And then I'll, usually I play pop progressions like one, six, four, five, or recently I like doing one, four, and then like a short six, five. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll be a little, I like throwing in a Neapolitan every now and then, but not as much. And they seem to like the pop sound a little bit more, but yeah. some of them are like, I don't know what you want me to do. And some of them are, oh, this is the best thing ever. And you can tell that they've got a really good ear for, um, here's what, here they have a really good melodic ear, I guess would be the best way to say it. And you can hear that they're not just playing notes as fast as they can, but yeah. that's what I'm doing. So I didn't know if you were doing a similar thing or just your thoughts. Um, yeah, we talk about tunes of all different genres, you know, like we might look at a jazz tune, we might look at a pop tune. Um, and some of them it's, you know, like teach me this Coldplay song or teach me this whatever. And, you know, I'll kind of guide them through that. But when it comes to improv, you know, especially in like the jazz, uh, area, I guess I'll just kind of make them play the chord in the left hand and then run the scale that kind of goes with that chord up two octaves and back down mm -hmm. um, as like a starting point. And then like once they get through all the chords, they at least kind of understand what notes are kind of fair game for each chord. Um, from there, it's kind of like instead of just playing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe try playing like one, three, two, four, three, five you know, kind of like alternating um, and just finding different patterns within that scale. So like you can start to kind of create your own melodies. You know, the chord progression that they make you learn as like tonicizing the key. That's like the yeah. one, da, da, four, six, da, four, da, back da, to da. one. Yeah. Yeah. That one. So like, I'll have them play that and whole notes. Okay. And then do quarter notes in the right hand, either like five finger set so that their hands not having to move or they can kick out the pinky and the fourth finger to the pentatonic set. Yeah. Right. Okay. And just, you know, like l limit their rhythmic choice so yeah. that they at least get used to like, Oh, here's some options. And then once they get comfortable with things moving at the same time, once they get comfortable with things moving at the same time that then I let up on like the rhythm restrictions. Yeah. So yeah, I just great. didn't know what your thoughts were on that. Uh, no, I mean, I, I do the same kind of stuff where it's like, um, you know, I guess in the opposite or, you know, just kind of different ways of just like, let's go through a whole blues and only use these three notes. And then that way you're able to focus on just rhythm um, and like intentionally placing the rhythm where you want it, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just kind of like different ways to manipulate. Like, hey, you always have to focus on harmony, m melody and rhythm. So like, let's take away one of those or both of those or two of those, I mean, 
Um, and then you're kind of able to just like focus on one at a time, essentially. Right. I was gonna say, Ryan, we could just pick your brain for like pedagogy and stuff for another hour, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> but since now that we know that you're a teacher, we're like total nerds about it. Um, I, I did want to say, oh yeah, go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Uh, you sure you had a question, right? No, no, you're good. Okay. I was just going to ask you guys um, how you heard of, like, this record and what you thought of it and, I don't know, like, any parts that you like or don't like. <laughs> oh, the tables have turned. He's interviewing this <laughs> Livy picked your album, and so when I listened to your album, I was like, oh, I have so much to talk about. There's this gospel style that's going on. There's the way that they're transitioning from more specific styles to a little bit freer jazzier sections where you guys explore a little bit more and are less locked into certain styles um so that that's kind of what we were doing and at least how i was exposed to it cool livy you're the one who (laughs) told us about the album how did you find it yeah um so i mentioned earlier my friend uh so my my friends back in Tennessee, um, one of them is, I don't know if he first uh, found out about you guys like when we were all together in undergrad or if it's been since then, but um, uh, we stay in touch and like he's still in Nashville teaching. And um, as far as I know, he went to one of your shows. Oh. Um, and so, so it was through him, my friend who's still in Nashville, um, and I'm not sure when he went, like how long ago it would have been, but I know it was, he recommended your album like in 2017. So it would have been sometime since then or before then. Um, and he's like way into jazz. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> y'all's music is like right up his alley. And so he just went to one of your shows. And then I was like asking my friends for like album recommendations one day and he sent mine your way. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, so his name is Evan, so shout out to Evan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Again, this is going to be like two weeks in a row Evan gets shouted out. Did we give him a shout out on the last episode? I don't remember. But. Yeah, we gave him a shout out when we talked about it, but oh, this won't yeah. actually come out next week. What's so. Evan's yeah. last name? <laughs> uh, O'Neal. Evan O'Neill. Okay, cool. Yeah, very Irish sounding. Yeah, he's <laughs> awesome. He's saxophone as well. That's how we met, was our studio in undergrad, and then... Um, he is currently directing a middle school band in Nashville. I don't okay. know which school, but cool. he's a band director now. I think he's still like around and gigging and stuff. Yeah. He still he kept up his chops, unlike me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and he went. I was gonna say he went over to University of Memphis. For, oh, okay, yeah. For um, his masters in saxophone, but he focused a lot on jazz, and so that's his stuff. That's awesome. Ryan, you don't happen, since we were talking about saxophonists that you might know, do you know the name Tristan Gordon? Yeah, of course. He's played with Dynamo, actually. Okay. You see, I felt bad because as soon as we started to get into it, I was like, is there a chance that he (laughs) knows Tristan and that I should have paid attention more? Um, Tristan and I went to high school together. Oh, okay, cool. Love Tristan. He's the man. Um. He wasn't on any of the records, but he did fill in for a, a short tour. It was like a week long. Got you. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just remember in high school that I was always impressed with 
um, he always seemed to be on it as far as, imp- I mean, he was on it on the classical side as well, but whenever he improv in jazz, it was just like, all right, that's what I wish I could do on bass trombone. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's a crazy man. <laughs> Did you have any other questions for us, Ryan? Um, no, uh, I don't think so. But you guys, you guys liked the record. It was cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. I, I was going to say, I recommended it because I liked it. And then the guys, <laughs> I, I kind of forced the guys to listen to it. But. That's awesome. Yeah. It's but funny because I, I have not listened to that record probably since 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you just write all the music and rehearse it so much. And then you have to go through the process of like mm-hmm. mixing the record. And by the time you do all that, before it's even released, you're already like kind of over it if that makes sense <laughs> yeah I, yeah I it makes sense that. yeah <laughs> that's adam with every one of our podcast episodes <laughs> right yeah it's like done with it you just have to remember that hopefully someone else will enjoy it yeah well like i really like thankful i really liked um closer hmm. and is it i think your touch is the other one that oh, yeah, yeah. those are like the three ones that i'm really into that's awesome heck yeah Adam, you had a question, though? Yeah, I just said, uh, if if we're ready to wrap up, I just had one final question. Um, are you aware of the music of Gat Mangione? <laughs> Gat Mangione? Mangione? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I know Chuck Mangione, right? Chuck yeah, Mangione. this is his brother. His brother, okay. <laughs> the lesser known Mangione <laughs> brother. Okay, what does he play? Just curious. No, I was oh. just curious. I wanted we whether he knows it or not. We have an ongoing feud feud with him, so <laughs> I just wanted to see if he had any Gap hot takes. Are you saying Gat? Gap. No, G A P. G A P. Like the store. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's his name. Or Crazy. you know, like a distance between one thing and another thing. <laughs> uh, Diana in the Autumn Wind is like his most famous song. I'll definitely look him up. Gap man, yeah. okay. Wow, uh, or, he's got another one that. What the reason is, is that we? Wanna... I mean, you can pick a side in this feud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we were just gonna we were gonna use one of his songs as an intro, and we emailed him, and he said that he didn't have the rights to it, and therefore would not allow us to use the song. Hmm. Uh, so now we have a rivalry <laughs> with him. Well, specifically, I asked him where the if where the rights were. I didn't ask him for it. You know, I I know how the biz works. Yeah, vaguely. But he was he said to he said to screw off. <laughs> he said, "Don't even bother." Yeah, right. I'm not even gonna tell you where to look. <laughs> so since then, I just have this vendetta against against Gold Gap. I love it. I love it. Also, Gap wasn't on King of the Hill. Chuck was. So. <laughs> wow, that's funny. That's anyway, uh... that nothing. <laughs> Great final question, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. Is uh, really hot take. Who's the guy, Mike? Uh, King of the Hill. Mike Judge. Mike Judge. Yeah, Austin, yeah. Texas. Mm-hmm. Didn't he also do Office Space? And Did Idiocracy. He? Idiocracy. That's a great. Wow. And Beavis and Butthead. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. I wait. I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's him. Could be right. <laughs> Yeah, he was on that. He was both. He was Beavis and Butthead. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. But Idiocracy <laughs> was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Any other questions, or is that? I'm satisfied. 
I'm good. I already picked your brain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I didn't plan on Ryan being so patient with us. And so I actually, I need to jump off because Ryan, I didn't expect you to be willing to sit down with us for so long. We appreciate you being on so much. I didn't know that like our, our conversation would you know, go in so many directions. But yeah, I was irresponsible. I have to go. <laughs> I should try. No, it's all good. Too, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. Talk to you. Thanks so much for being on. This is great. No, I mean, I feel like I met a celebrity. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's <laughs> awesome to... Is, I, I think this is going to be one of our best episodes. So much yeah. uh, insightful conversation and advice was given. This is going to be awesome. Sure, yeah. yeah. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to our interview with Ryan Connors of Dynamo. We really enjoy getting to talk with him. Uh, we're going to leave a link in the description of the episode to like all his social media and pages and stuff like that. Please feel free to check them out. Again, you can find Salina wherever music is. And then they have a bunch more projects besides that. And their most recent project is a single that released in mid-April called Never Alone. So please go check that out. And thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate putting this out for you. And uh, we'll be back next week. See you.